welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. It's Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. This is Shannon, and I'm here tonight with Kira and Kristen, and we are going to talk about science fiction, which makes me really, really excited because I don't read a lot of sci-fi, but the sci-fi I do read, I really love. So we have lots of great books to tell you about. And before we get started, we'll have, of course, the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So I'm going to start us off, followed by Kristen, and then Kira will finish off the round before we start again. So I have four science fiction series to talk to you about today because I just don't read a lot of standalones. So my first pick is actually a duology, and it starts with Dare Mighty Things by Heather Kaczynski. And it came out, I want to say in 2017. And this is a young adult novel about an 18-year-old girl named Cassandra Gupta. And she is very, very smart, very driven, very talented and her father is like an astrophysicist or somebody like very very high up in like nasa so she is chosen to be part of this competition that will allow her possibly to join a crew and head out to the far reaches of space So the first book in the duology, which is Dare Mighty Things, focuses mostly on the competition itself. And so you don't have a ton of time like set in space. Like you have a lot of space simulations and a lot of discussion of what things will be like for the crew in space, but you don't necessarily see like time and space until the second book. So Cassie is part of this contest which is filled with like basically the best and the brightest the world has to offer and she's not really sure that she'll be chosen but she figures you know even if she doesn't get chosen the whole opportunity to actually compete was like really great so she expects this to be kind of like a cutthroat contest where people are just out for themselves and she doesn't really expect to make friends but she actually does form close bonds with several of the other competitors and so this makes it a little trickier for her once things start getting down to the end and it becomes a choice between her and some of these people that she's actually grown really close to there is kind of a slow burn romance that 
kind of trickles throughout the duology. I can't tell you too much about it because it would be sort of spoilery if I did. But this was just so much fun, partly because I really like the whole like people in competitions to do great things. Um, and I just thought it was really cool that they were competing to actually go into space. So this is Dare Mighty Things, and it is the first book in the Dare Mighty Things duology by Heather Kavinsky. That sounds awesome. It was so good. And then the second book gets all like spacey and excellent. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually, a, I'm glad you talked about that one first, because my first book is, um, has a little bit of the same feel to it in, in the whole competition thing. Mm. Um, so, um, my first book is the calculating stars lady oh. astronaut number one, and it is by Ro uh, Mary Robinette Coel. Um, so this book, it's, it takes place in 1952 and a meteorite strikes the Earth and pretty much obliterates most of the East Coast, including Washington, D.C. So, Bye, Kira. Gone. <laughs> yes, please leave, Kira. Um, Eric, Washington, <laughs> please, so please leave Washington before the meteorite hits you. Um, Thanks. <laughs> so... Um, this this lady, her name is Elma, and her her husband. They are both like these brilliant, brilliant people. He's a rocket scientist. She um, is what they call a calculator. She's amazing with numbers. Um, and oh. so they actually were very lucky. They were at their mountain cabin when the meteorite hit, and they saw the flash they thought that maybe um somebody had um like dropped a bomb um but that's not what happened they they eventually got the radio broadcast that it was a, a meteorite and they make it back to um to civilization i guess but they have to walk um, from Ooh. their cabin to the airfield. They have their own plane. They have, she's a pilot. She was a wasp in World War, in one of, in the Second World War. She was a wasp, which is a, a woman pilot that they were carrying, couriering planes back and forth. So she didn't do any fighting or anything, but she flew a lot of the fighter jets, taking them to other people. Um, and so she has a pilot's license, so they have their own plane. They make it to the airfield. They get back to civilization. They land at a military base. Um, and people are just, like, scrambling to figure out, like, what do we do next? Because government has pretty much collapsed. Um, the president and the vice president are both gone. So it, the acting president is... Um, the Secretary of Defense in the book. So he's acting president at this point. So, I mean, the, the whole government structure is just pretty much shot. And so you've got all these military people trying to figure out how to run the government. Um, uh, what they 
finally realized once her, um, her husband, Nathaniel, and her get on the matter is that um, with the way the meteorite hit, it is going to cause some serious global warming over the next several years. And so they ultimately decide that the best way to go about handling all this is that it is time to colonize space. And so they get to work on this space colonization program. And being in 1952, you still see some of the reluctance to involve black people. Um, But Elma and her husband are actually taken in by a military couple and they are, they're a black couple, but they are, you know, very nice people. They're very high up people in the military. Um, The wife was actually a, a, a pilot herself in, in the world, in the world war. She was a wasp as well. And so when they start this colonization project, uh, Elma starts to realize that everybody that they are considering for making the first flight into space are all men. And why aren't women being chosen? Yeah. And she's like, this is not cool. Um, and so she starts speaking out and she starts making a big deal of it. But uh, under all of this, Elma has a lot of anxiety. She's not good at being in front of people speaking publicly. Um, And so there's a little bit of her overcoming her anxiety. When she gets really anxious, she starts reciting the numbers of pi. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What a nerd. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I love that part, though. Yeah. If her her husband is with her and he notices her anxiety, he starts getting her to to do equations or recite prime numbers or something because it just calms her mind. Um, so you see some of that, you know, overcoming women inequality. Um, she does a lot of fighting to bring colored women into the space program and, you know, giving them a chance to become pilots. Uh, because even though these women were pilots, they're not considered for piloting the space, the, the rocket that is going to go to the moon. And she really fights hard against that. And she has to deal with a lot of overcoming anxiety and all of that. But it's so amazing. She's, she's definitely a a heroine. She's, she's very strong, even though she doesn't always feel that way. She does a lot to bring equality for women. Her husband backs her all the way. Um, even when other, you know, other men are saying, oh, well, we don't need women. Women aren't strong enough to be put into space, all of that. So I loved this so very much. I love that Elma is super smart and she knows she's smart and she refuses to let anybody walk all over that. She's sarcastic. Um, but you also get a little bit of that Southern twang um, in there. <laughs> she, she, she plays the little southern uh helpless lady in the face of people or men especially that try to put her down um makes them look like idiots i love it so this book was just so amazing i can't read can't wait to read the rest of the series so this is uh the calculating stars by mary robinette coel and it is lady astronaut 
number one. Go read it right now. <laughs> Definitely on my on list. my iPad. Yeah, it is so awesome, and the ending is awesome. Oh gosh, I love a good ending. <laughs> It's definitely so a cliffhanger, Mary, but it's great. Oh, a cliffhanger. Mary yes. Robinette Cole is an author, but she's also a narrator. And oh, yes. she narrates she reads, yes. the October Day books. Job. Oh, does she oh, read her own? She does read this. She reads this series, yes. I, I oh, haven't read the cool. October Day novels, but she does read this series as well. And I, I love her. She does a great job. Wow, it's awesome. Like the voice of October Day in my head. Well, um, we are not going much further in time. I'm going to talk about my first book, The Shape of Water, which takes place um, during the Cold War. So from the 50s to the Cold War. <laughs> it seems like a lot of these sci-fi books are centered around military conflicts and politics and stuff like that. So the first book I'm going to talk about is The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro who also did the movie. Um, the book, uh, in my opinion, is probably better than the movie, as most things are, just because you get that extra level of detail. Um, I must say, don't normally read sci-fi books like this, but, you know, the movie was really, you know, well-received, and also uh, it was a good movie. I saw it. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to read the magic behind the movie. So this is going to be a um, discussion of the book here. So um, this book, like I said, takes place in um, the Cold War era. So, era. so the um, United States military is trying to get um, all this new technology and the arms race is going on. And basically anything to outdo the communists. So that brings them to this amphibious uh, creature that they find in the Amazon who is some form of deity or god um, worshipped by these um, people in the Amazon. And the military is wanting to capture this asset and study the properties um, of the amphibian man and um they want to treat him very much like a like it's just they want to treat, treat him like a science experiment you know there's no regard Rude. for yeah i know there's no regard <laughs> for he's a god I know, right? <laughs> he might have some feelings or emotions or whatever so enter Alyssa, who is mute um and i know we talk about characters with disabilities sometimes in um, the podcast and how it is really important to include um, disabled characters. And I really liked, um, I really liked this character because she is strong. She's not, in my opinion, some token um, like person with a disability just to be added into the story. Um, her muteness serves an interesting purpose and, you know, um, paints her as, it's really a story between the outcasts and everyone else. So um, she's an outcast and she's a janitor. So she's very much invisible. And um, she tries to be invisible, especially around uh, one of the main characters who is honestly just a big jerk. <laughs> and oh, he's, 
Yeah, exactly. And um, there is some tension there that um, uh, Alyssa kind of starts to befriend the amphibious man, basically. <laughs> the best, like, that's the way he's described in the book. Um, and she oh, realizes, and they kind of, um, she teaches him sign language. And, you know, she realizes that he can communicate. And um, some feelings develop uh, between the two, uh, which gets into this other aspect of the book, which I kind of appreciated, which is the mix between magical realism and sci-fi, which is a very unique mix. But it actually comes up again um, a little bit later in one of my other book series. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call that magical realism, but magic and science together, I guess, is the best way I can put it. So the story um, is a really good exploration of friendship, the, in, um, the outcasts versus everyone else, what it means to have a disability and be understood, who understands you when you have a disability, and it's all painted in the backdrop of this Cold War era um, scenery with all the trappings that go with it. To me, it was very much a, a different break um, or a, a different kind of book and a, a nice break from what I usually read. So I would encourage anyone, especially if you enjoyed the movie, um, to go and read the book because there's so much more detail. You get to so, know so much more about the characters um, as is, you know, pretty typical. And I thought it would be an interesting book to talk about for the podcast. So this is The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. And go read it. <laughs> when I looked at the description of this today, when when I was writing it down for you, it mm-hmm. it looked really interesting. It um, was interesting. It's, like I said, not the type of book I usually read. Um, yeah. But it was kind of inspired by my um, recent reading of Octavia Butler's kind of work and how... She kind uh, yes. of, yeah, how she kind of blurs the lines between human and non-human, and I just mm-hmm. thought that was interesting, and I I enjoyed it. I thought it was, like, like I said, it was a nice break. It was interesting, and I liked it. <laughs> so my next book keeps us um, in the whole realm of of conflict. <laughs> Although this is a galactic conflict that we're going to hear about. So this oh, is fun. the Bi- this is the Diabolic trilogy. And it's the Diabolic by S. J. Kincaid, the Diabolic Book One. And in this world, there are sort of the upper classes, and they have created these beings for themselves that are known as diabolics. And what these beings do is basically keep whoever they were created for safe. So they will risk their lives for this person again and again and again. And they also will not hesitate to kill anyone who seems like they might pose, you know, a threat to the person that they are supposed to care for. So Um. the person that we follow in this book is a diabolic and her name is Nemesis. I'm not really sure why that. that's a good name for someone, but <laughs> it is. Um, because she's definitely like not the nemesis of the person that she cares for. But she is given to a young woman whose father is very like high up in the political world. 
So her name is Sidonia, and Sidonia and Nemesis basically grow up side by side. So everywhere that Sidonia is, Nemesis is as well. And her role is basically to be like an ultra-fit bodyguard for wow. Sidonia. But I wish I had an ultra-fit when... bodyguard. I know, right? I wish I was Yes. You <laughs> <laughs> could be the ultra-fit bodyguard. <laughs> there you go. So... Sidonia is summoned to court, which is on another planet, and she is supposed to be a sort of hostage to make her father behave in a way that the emperor wants him to. But Nemesis goes in Sidonia's place, and so she goes sort of disguised as Sidonia, because obviously it's not safe for Sidonia to go on her own. So once she's in court, Nemesis, who has grown up around humans, but who isn't technically human, has to work really hard to portray Sidonia appropriately. And sometimes this works well, sometimes it does not. Um, but this is just full of all sorts of really awesome political intrigue. There's phenomenal world building of not just the world that Sidonia and Nemesis inhabit, but also the other planets that kind of make up this um, galactic conglomeration. So we get to sort of understand how Diabolics came to be, what purpose they were originally meant to fulfill, and how kind of human greed has made them into these kind of weapons that people see as like not being able to feel actual human emotion, even though many of them can. So this is, as I said, a trilogy. The third book came out earlier this summer and it was just so much fun to read. It's YA science fiction with a romance with a strong female heroine who basically kicks butt and takes names on a regular basis. Um, I love Nemesis so much. So this is The Diabolic, The Diabolic Book One, and it's by S.J. Cade, and I highly recommend it. That sounds, that sounds really good. good. Right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really does. I liked it a lot. Great. My next book is one that I've recently read, and it was just... So complex, really, um, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It is called Nixia, and it is the Nixia Triad Number 1 by Scott Rienton. I believe that's how you say his name. Um, this book is very, very interesting. So this group of young kind of poor, troubled people are gathered together by this company called Babel. And they are given a chance to, um, to go into space. Um, they, they're all from Earth, different parts of the world. You've got Middle Eastern, you've got Japanese, you've got Chinese, you have um, American... Asian, just all over. But all these people have one thing in common. They're, they have trouble past, they're poor, um, and they're kind of outcasts in their own worlds. So this book is told 
um, from the view of a young um, colored gentleman by uh, from Detroit. He, I, we don't get a clear idea of his age, but I'm guessing like late teens, early twenties. Um, and he, his, his mother has cancer. His family's very poor. Um, he's, you know, kind of grown up on the streets to a degree. So he has no idea in the beginning why he was chosen by Babel to go on this expedition, but they're pulled in. They get put on this spaceship, but before they actually get to where they're going, they, there's 10 of them. They all have to go through a competition, which, and only eight of them will actually go to outer space. But what this comes down to is pretty much a survival of the fittest competition. There's, they have to either decide whether they're going to work against each other, work together. Um, there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of really nasty um, conflict between some of the group members. It, it get, it's just all kinds of crazy. And um, this young man, his name is Emmett, and he has to figure out whether he is going to resort to this wild, inhumane fighter to earn his way to stay up in points and to make it to this planet called Eden, or if he's going to maintain his sense of humanity, but also do what it takes to win. Because there's people out there that are fighting really dirty really, really dirty. Um, their ultimate goal is to go to Eden and mine this substance called Nixia, which you get to see early on in the book. Nixia is this um, substance that can be manipulated into anything. If you think it, it can be created. So Ooh. Nixia can turn into body armor it can wow. be jewelry. It can be a weapon. It can just, you eat it? <laughs> I, that is the one thing you cannot do with Nixia. You cannot create uh, liquids or foods. So it's oh, not okay. like a life-sustaining substance, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. anything else is, ah. is pretty fair game. Um, so they're, throughout the, the book, they're learning how to manipulate Nixia and the people who have better control over it because Nixia can take over you as well if you let it. Um, and it, it makes people crazy, um, which you see in the book. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, their goal is to get to Eden and they, they have to be the best to get there because only, it says only eight of them can go. And there's so many twists and turns. You see some friendships form, you see some really nasty conflict, you see, um, finding your, your true self, um, you see what the offer of multi-digit paychecks can turn people into. Cause I mean, these are poor people, Ooh. but they are offered billions of dollars for life wow. if they make it through to Eden and, and can, um, complete this mission. So, you know, 
it turns these people into almost savages at points. Yeah. So this was a really great book. Um, I'm looking forward to the, to the next two books. There's, there's three. Um, I'd call it a trilogy, but they call it a triad. So that's what we're going with. Um, but just, I recommend this. It's a, it's kind of a dose of reality and sci-fi because it all takes place on a, on a spaceship. They're going to outer space, but it's really about all these people who just have to learn who they truly are and, and what they're going to do with, with what they've been handed. Um, so I highly recommend this book. Once again, this book is, it is called Nixia, the Nixia triad number one by Scott Rienton. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I need this. It is so amazing. And it kind I, of you know, like I, a sci-fi Hunger Games a little bit. Almost. Yes. Yeah. It, that's exactly what I found Hunger Games not as interesting. But this this is just, I don't know. There's, there's love. There's hate. There's so much, you know, inner, uh, what is that? Like personal reflection and all of that is just so many things wrapped up in one one good book and um competition the competition is just amazing well the next book i'm going to talk about is um called dark matter it's by blake crouch and i love this book yes me too it is uh, like a sci-fi thriller is probably the best way i can describe it um it gets heavy on the physics at some parts. Um, it makes you question who you really are. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a really good book. Um, so the main character, his name is Jason. Um, and he is a college professor, kind of like at a, not a bad school, but like a mid-tier school. And he lives a very quiet life with his wife and son, Charlie. And, um, he's happy with his life and he's content to live, um, his life quietly teaching, I think it's the basics of quantum physics, um, at a undergraduate level and his wife, um, sorry, I should mention the book takes place in Chicago and his wife um, was going to be a very big time artist, and she had her own art gallery, and um, she had just booked her first like solo ga- gallery in New York when um, they, when her and Jason met, and um, kind of life happened, and so they both made sacrifices, and now they live a quiet life in a Chicago. Um, neighborhood that is until one day one of um, Jason's former college roommates um, uh, gets a a very big prize for um, a discovery in neuroscience and you know Jason's reflecting on his life and he's really happy you know he all he needs is his wife and his son and he's got that um, but he ends up going to uh, the bar to congratulate his friend anyway, um, because him and his friend go way back. He helped his friend with differential equations in college, and he wants to congratulate him. So he goes to the bar, 
and, you know, his friend kind of, I guess you could say, makes him feel bad or chastises him or about not staying in the field of physics because apparently, according to all accounts, he is a gifted physicist and everyone could see that he was very gifted. So he, he kind of, Jason kind of gets upset and he leaves. Um, and he's walking home and he takes a scenic route because he needs to clear his head. He almost gets hit by a car, but not really. <laughs> Dear. Things are not, yeah, cool. things are not, yeah, things are not going well for him. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, a man in a mask approaches him and forces him into a car. And that's basically where the book takes off. And suddenly, Jason is thrust into a world of physics, and his life is not the same way it was when he was when he uh, wakes up than when it was before um, back in Chicago. And his goal in life is to make his way back to his family. Um, and doing so, though. Um, you know, physics is a funny thing, and the universe has has funny consequences, I guess you could say. And um, it's such a fast-paced book. It was really good to read. Um, again, it's something different. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I loved the – I just loved the through line of Jason wanting to get home to his family. I thought that was a really interesting, um, like, theme of the story. And what that means and what family is. So if you like thrillers and you like sci-fi and maybe you like physics, this is a good book for you. And again, the title is Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Also really liked Recursion by him. And like the way you could like relive parts of your life and change them. Yes. I thought that was like very yes. cool. I like the multiverse like dangerous Jason's... To me. <laughs> uh, like all the Jasons and things. <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> all right. So cool. my next pick will take us to Mars. Ooh. So this Fun. is the Red Rising Saga by Pierce Brown. The first book is called oh, Red Rising. That. Yes. And this is the story of Darrow, and Darrow has grown up a red, which is basically like the lower class kind of slave labor, um, kind of in like the, a moon of Mars, like not actually on Mars, but like in this moon where he works to mine this substance that is needed to kind of help people survive. And Darrow's life is pretty grim. Um, the life of a red never really amounts to much more than hard labor. And it's been told to reds pretty much all over this moon that the planet of Mars is uninhabitable and that basically by doing the work that they're doing, one day they will make it inhabitable again. And so that's kind of what spurs them to keep going and to keep kind of being like just worked shamelessly by these people who are like the upper class, much more powerful, much more privileged. But as it turns out, Mars really is inhabitable and it is inhabited by the, the class of people known as the golds who are like the military commanders and the scientists, all the people with the power are golds. 
And when Darrow learns the truth, he becomes really enraged because his wife had suspected this for quite a long time and was actually killed. And it's not a spoiler because she dies like really early on in the book. So his wife is killed for basically trying to get people to revolt against the golds. So now Darrow is bent on revenge and through a very, very interesting scientific procedure, he is able to go undercover as a gold. And so for all intents and purposes, he becomes a gold with like the physical abilities, the mental abilities, any kind of supernatural power that a gold may or may not have. All of these things now belong to Darrow, even though he was born a red. And if anyone learns the truth, like this will be very, very, very bad. Because obviously, if gold can be manufactured, then their sort of seat of power is in danger. So Darrow joins this like military academy. And he makes up a backstory for himself about you know, who he is and who his family is. And he is determined to bring the golds down from the inside. But other people have agendas too. And some of these agendas will kind of coexist with Darrow's and some of them will not. So this Ooh. is kind of dark and brutal in places. It's classified as YA. But if you have a teen who is a little bit more like on the sensitive side, who doesn't deal with tough stuff really well, I'm guessing this might not be the best book for a more um, sensitive, like soft hearted teen, but I loved it so much because I'm kind of dark and twisted. And this was just (laughs) such a remarkable book. It was originally pitched as a trilogy When the trilogy ended, um, he kept on writing the story, taking our characters into the future. So it's just really, really incredible. It starts with Red Rising, and it's the Red Rising Saga, book one, by Pierce Brown. And I highly, highly recommend it. This is another one that I feel like is kind of like the Hunger Games meets maybe like Red Queen, but set in space. Wow, that sounds really cool. Another book that I was eyeing for this podcast, but then I was like, oh, oh. somebody else is probably going to do this. <laughs> yes, I read it, like, back in, like, 2017, and oh, okay. it was just so, so good. I've, Goodreads has recommended this book to me several times, and I don't know why I haven't picked it up yet, but I have definitely, definitely seen it. Okay, my next book is one that I loved so very much. Um, It is called Behind the Throne, um, The Indranan War, book one, by K.B. Wagers. This book is just all about the female power, and I love it. Yes. Um, Halemi, Mercedes, Jaya... Bristol. Wow, what a name. A gun r- yes, I know. But isn't it so pretty? I love that name, though. Yeah, <laughs> it, just, it's pretty, but it's a mouthful. Um, I love her first name because it's not Haley. It's Halemi. I love H-A-I-L-I-M-I. that. H-A-I-L-I-M-I. Um, so she is a gun runner. 
she ran away from home 20 years ago in search of um, someone who killed her father. And she just never returned home because she was tired. She, she's from a royal, pretty much a, a royal ruling family. Uh, her mother was the empress, actually. So I guess not kind of. She is the ruling family. Um, but she was just tired of all the, you know, the royalty, the rules, the ins and outs of, you know, empire politics so when she left to chase down her father's killer she just decided to become an outlaw and um kick butt and take names later so she becomes a captain of a spaceship called sophie and when this book uh starts uh is being attacked um and what has happened is well her ship has been attacked for one thing but in the middle of this um what happens is there's these two trackers that have been sent to pretty much drag her royal butt home because her uh her two sisters and her niece have been killed her mother is um what is suffering from what they think is called space madness Um, and they, you know, she's third in line for the throne, but, you know, they need somebody from, you know, in the immediate, immediate succession and to come home and bring the empire back to peace. So she's pretty much forced to go home with these two trackers. Um, she is given a, uh, a file that is a recording from her sister who was um, who was sitting on the throne or she was queen. She wasn't the empress, but she was considered queen. Um, and she learns all these things there. There is um, there are people in her own family that are trying to take over Indranen, um, trying to, to um, ruin peace treaties with other planets and just for their own, for their own good. And she comes back and she's pretty much slammed right in the middle of it. She has like three attempts on her life within two weeks of being home. (laughs) Like it's just a complete fluster. Um, But the two trackers sent to get her become her bodyguard um, or part of her guard And they also end up becoming her best friends to a degree. Um, One other thing that is very prominent in this world is that females are in power. Men are not even really considered all that great for bodyguard duty. Um, But she kind of kicks that tradition to the curb. and, And her whole guard is pretty much made up of men, which drives other women insane. Um, but uh, all the generals and the military and the council, just everything is wom- women, 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 which is great. Um, but she doesn't really believe in all of that. She thinks men should have higher positions. She certainly doesn't want them to sit on the throne, but she wants them to have 
more of a role other than like house husband. That's so, interesting. <laughs> so it, it's very interesting. So she ultimately, you know, has to learn who is her enemy, who is her friend, who's on the side of the throne, who is trying to steal the throne. Um, she's trying to figure out who killed her sisters and her niece. Um, she's also, she still doesn't fully know who killed her father. There was three people, two of them were caught, but she was after the third. So it's all kind of tied in together. Um, and there's just so much that happens. There's, it all takes place obviously on different planets in space. Um, they use air cars, spaceships. Um, they have this technology that's not fully explained, but it, like when they're sent messages, somebody it's kind of like a holographic thing happens where somebody tries to contact you. And if you accept the call, they kind of holographically appear on the wall and can talk to you in real time. Um, they have this technology in their hands that they can, um, like they can hold up their hand and uh, make their messages show up just on any surface. It, it's really interesting. Um, but it's, it's very futuristic for sure. But this was just all the things. I love the woman power. I love that she has to also decide whether she is going to be the prim and proper empress or if she's going to be the kick butt gun runner in charge. And she ultimately learns that sometimes you got to be both. And it's just so much amazingness on so many levels. And I highly recommend this book. And I, I can't wait to read the rest of the, the trilogy. Um, so this is the first book is Behind the Throne, The Andronan War, book one by KB Wagers. And it has to be like your next read. <laughs> it looks so amazing. It yeah, really that's is. really, like, I love all the different politics involved and, like, the different gender roles are really cool. Mm-hmm. That is really cool. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It, it's so good. And, it, like, the family treachery is just... Ooh, I love family treachery. <laughs> yeah, it, yes. it, it's pretty... I'm not going to say obvious, it's it's obvious to us as readers, but it's not immediately obvious to Halumi, obviously, yeah. of who it is. But she's very good at figuring things out, and she's using her past 20 years of gunrunner experience to pick up on who's lying and who's true to her. And she doesn't take crap from anyone. Well, I will proceed on that from empress to goddess, I guess, because this next <laughs> book is... <laughs> um, called The Accidental Goddess by Linnea Sinclair and it is about um, a Reheron it's a very difficult um, kind of uh, uh, pronunciation but basically they are these people who have psychic abilities and healing abilities and it in they are um, the main character of the book comes from comes from uh, that planet, 
And uh, the main character, her name is Gillian, but her, I'm just going to call her Gilly because that's mostly what she's referred to throughout the story. Um, she is a really cool, uh, I could say, like, <laughs> bar drinking, bar crawling, like, um, uh, 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 like playing cards and gambling kind of girl. And she's the captain of a really impressive ship. And her ship, um, she's time jumping, basically. And her ship uh, goes out of commission for a very long time. <laughs> she wakes up um, 342 years later wow. to find, yeah, to find <laughs> out uh, on, on this um, space vessel called the Cyrus One. Uh, to find out that she's now being considered a goddess and that holographic um, images of her are all over the um, space, uh, space. It's not, it's bigger than a spaceship. It's like a space society, basically floating off in space. Wow. And um, she doesn't want to be a goddess. She's like, I'm a smuggler. I'm not a goddess. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> um so I'm she's a smuggler, quickly... not an empress. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so she is confronted with um, the one of the leaders of this um, space society, I guess I could call it, um, and his name is Mac. And he is trying to figure out what her deal is. Does she mean them harm? So, so Mac um, is um, the leader of Cyrus One, and he's the youngest leader um, appointed to his station. And there's just so much culture in this book. There is so much richness to the story that um, it's just, it, sometimes it is kind of confusing because um, you're basically thrust into this world and um, you're reading all about the intersection of science and magic. And um, there are, like, diverse people on the ship. And there's many different religions and many different types of dress. So sometimes, um, and there's so many different uh, factions and things. So at first I was kind of confused. But I, I did straighten the details out. Um, as the story progressed and it becomes more and more natural as the story progresses. Um, but basically, um, Gilly is trying to figure out how she can get off, um, of Cyrus one and how she can keep her secret, um, stay, stay, um, incognito, stay, um, under the radar all while being pursued, um, and questioned by the, very straight-backed leader that is Mac. And there are spaceship battles, there's ancient religions, there's uh, gods and goddesses, and um, lots of lore in this book. Um, it's a very um, lore-heavy book in a very, very rich world. Um, and it's got a romance in it, and um, it's Honestly, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it has a lot of politics as well, a lot of, um, just so much detail. <laughs> so I would really highly recommend um, this book to anyone who's really interested in the intersection of like space and magic or um, 
things like that. Uh, it's a very unique, you know, perspective and it's funny in some parts. There are some one-liners that Gilly has that are really funny and um, the mm -hmm. dynamic between Mac and Gilly is really something from the beginning. There's kind of a spark there. So this is um, An Accidental Goddess by Linnea Sinclair and it's a good book. <laughs> that sounds so awesome. Sounds like a really good one. It kind of reminds me a little bit of are you talking about it. Um, I'm a Trekkie. I'll admit it. Yes. It's it, very uh, Star Trekky kind of. Yeah, it kind of sounds like um, Deep Space Nine, how they're all living on this like station and there's so many different religions and, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's peace, but they don't all really like each other and old wars and new wars it it kind of sounds like that there's no magic in track in trick but you know all right i have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting since we started this podcast all the way back in 2018 for an episode where i could talk about these books and finally Wait. two years and two months later here we are <laughs> but haven't you done sci-fi episodes before this no <gasps> I never what? had any sci-fi people. Oh, wow. We're your yes. sci-fi people. You are. Because Mika <laughs> wanted to do one, but it would have only been she and I, and we didn't have enough books. So, oh, no. Yeah, that would be I, a I've, lot of books per person. <laughs> yes, I have not had a sci-fi like group yet until now. Okay. So, I am now here to talk about some of my very, very favorite books, like spanning any genre. These are the class five novels by Michelle Diener. And I have they are downloaded. just epic. <laughs> so the first book is Dark Horse. And all of these books are about different heroes and heroines, but the plot mm. builds like on the plots of the previous books. So you don't want to mm. read them out of order. Um, aside from the fact that that's just generally like a confusing way to read, I think it's just better to understand how the story unfolds if you start with Dark Horse and go all, all the right. way through. So Dark Horse is the story of Rose McKenzie, and she was kidnapped months before our story begins. She was kidnapped from Earth and taken into space, and she has no idea why. She doesn't understand like what they plan to do with her or like, was it just sort of a random thing? Was it a bigger plot? She has no idea. And she's been living for a while in the hold of this spaceship and no one really talks to her. No one's very interested in getting to know her as a person. She's just sort of viewed as like an alien life form and they don't really deal with her a lot. However, there is this being who sort of embodies the spaceship and he's called Sazo. And he is like an AI who is also being held prisoner by the Tekrans, who are the people who kidnapped Rose. And the Tekrans are not great individuals. They are kind of plotting some like empire domination tactics. And they figure that the possession of Sazo and others like him can really do nothing but aid their cause. 
So Rose and Sazo join forces and Sazo agrees to help Rose escape if she will rescue this sort of pendant where Sazo's body, if you could call it a body, like his, his brain basically is, is housed. So she gets this pendant and she manages to escape the ship. But now she is alone in like a strange galaxy where no one really knows who she is, what she is. Um, there's no one to help her survive except Sazo. So together they find safety with the Gree, who are another kind of alien race. And the Gree and those who are kind of their allies are appalled to learn that Rose was captured by the Tekrans and actually taken from Earth. And this is sort of the impetus that they need to wage a huge battle with the Tekrans and those who stand with them. And it goes on throughout the course of the series. And we learn about more women who have been kidnapped from Earth and are being held in different places. Um, there are really cool romances between the women and some of the men who help to keep them safe. I love all of the AI beings that Diener created for this world. They are the class five computers who are called thinking machines. And they are they're really awesome person personalities. Sazo, I think, is my favorite. Um, he figures that he's kind of like Sherlock Holmes and Rose is like Watson, he decides. Aww. Because he just basically like uses all of the like pop culture that he can find online. And a lot of that, of course, you know, comes from Earth. And so he just sort of has these um, like ideas that are foreign to most people that he comes in contact with. But like Rose understands them because she comes from Earth. And these are just a lot of fun. The world building is rich and immersive. Um, the romances are believable and also just super interesting. You never get the sense of like, oh, you know, this is a, a boring couple. I didn't want them to end up together. Um, there's just so much to love here. She wrote the first three books and I think the third one came out in 2017. And then they stopped. And everyone was convinced that, you know, the series had ended. And then in 2019, she rewarded us all with the fourth book. And <laughs> this is called Dark Matters. And it was just phenomenal. I'm hoping that since she wrote a fourth, maybe that means there'll be more. Um, even if we kind of move away from the idea of women, like, being held captive, I would love to read more set in these worlds and kind of understand all of the different planets and different creatures. There's a creature in this book called a Grahuti that um, <laughs> my partner and funny. I have sort of taken as like a thing that we'll talk about, like we'll walk up to one of the cats and say, Oh, what a strange creature you are. Maybe <laughs> you are a Grahuti. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so Grahutis are, are very important. Um, in my household. They sound but very important. They are. <laughs> but I just, I love these books so incredibly much. If you love romance or if you love sci-fi and you want to kind of get a taste of like what a romance novel could be, I highly recommend this. It is the Class 5 series starting with Dark Horse. They are by Michelle Diener. If you read them in audio, they are so fantastic. The narrator is Christina Delane and she does such a fantastic job. So my final book 
for this evening is called Columbus Day. It is Ooh. book one of Expeditionary Force by Craig Allenson. Um, this book has so many different things going on. Um, the whole series as a whole is great. I haven't finished the series yet, but I've, I've read um, a couple of the books. And book one is good, but the whole series is just amazing. So Columbus Day, um, there's, there's this gentleman who is on leave from the military. He's been fighting in Nigeria, and he goes back home to visit his family. And he is on his way to pick up his younger sister when a spaceship comes out of nowhere and pretty much attacks. And everything is shut down, streets, um, highways, people are taking cover because this spaceship just comes out of nowhere just shooting things. And... Ultimately, what is on the ship is a species called the Ruha. And I, I, I kind of like the Ruha because they are these giant hamsters. <laughs> Literally, that's how they're described. They're giant hamsters that walk on their back feet. They, Whoa. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of creepy and cute all at the same time. I don't know if I would like that. <laughs> I'm like really afraid of most rodents, so I don't know. I like they're the guy describes them as cute but militant. It it's very interesting. Oh my! So militant hamsters. Yes, pretty much. Um. So, but it it's not like, I mean, it's obviously far fetched because it's a hamster looking being, but it's it's also in like a realistic reality. I mean, this happens in um. I want to say it happens in in Maine but um so the spaceship comes out of nowhere shooting people it's the Ruha but they're not even enemies of the humans like they they are um they are being attacked by another species called the Crestang and um I believe these are more like lizard people um, they're a little more creepy to me. So you've got, um, and the, and these, all these different humans, um, actually end up on Kristang ships fighting the Ruha, which the Ruha is not their true enemy. The, the, the Kristang is, and that, that's given in the, in the, in the blurb. So it's like people trying to figure out who, who's the enemy, who isn't, um, and all these, all the earthlings, the humans go from living their peaceful little lives on, on earth, their day to day, to fighting these two totally different species in outer space. Um, so the, I mean, the first book um, was not my favorite, but it, it's very essential to building what ultimately happens. Um, my favorite part, and it's very sad that my favorite part of this series does not show up in book one, but my favorite part of this whole series is this little AI called Skippy. <laughs> Skippy 
is amazing. I need a Skippy. He is described. He's this AI that um that is found by the humans on a planet that they they end up landing on. He's very very old. He was buried. They had to kind of bring him back to life. He he was he was alive but dormant. Like they had to kind of resuscitate him. I guess is the best way to put it. But he is described as this little beer can. Hmm. He, that's that's what he looks like. He, well, I mean, he doesn't look like a beer can, but that's kind of his size and his shape. He's just this little cylinder. But he is hilarious. He is sarcastic. He is funny. He is crazy smart. Um, he ultimately helps run the spaceship that um, the human that this is told from the point of view of, his name is Joe. Um, he ultimately, uh, you know, he's on the spaceship. They have a crew, but they all rely on Skippy to fix things, to uh, tell them what to do, pretty much how to fight, where to maneuver. But Skippy is very self-centered. Well, I don't know if self-centered <laughs> is the word. He's um, he's very much in love with himself. <laughs> so, you he's would just, be if you were an AI. But they, he's just so funny about it like he's not just a computer he's got personality he's uh, it's just the best AIs do it is and I agree he refers to all humans as monkeys he's like that that's his name he's like you monkeys don't how to fly this ship I fly this ship I am Skippy (laughs) the Magnificent it's just he's hilarious he's the best part of the whole Series. (laughs) Series. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if you if you pick up this series, you you really do need to start with the first book. Skippy doesn't come in until I believe partway through the second book, if I'm remembering right. But um, it's it's all worth the read. Joe is is pretty funny himself. Um, you know, he's just used to being a military guy. A lot of his military training, you know definitely filters over into the war he's fighting in space now but there's also some new things to learn um things to get used to obviously and him and skippy kind of become best friends it it's it's really a a great series to read and if you get nothing else out of it other than skippy the magnificent it's totally worth it um but I love how how Craig Allenson just brings all of these species together, how it's not like, whoa, how did we get from there to here? Where did these people come from? It's very, very coherent. Um, there's a lot of um, carryover from Earth into space. There's a lot of exploration. I learn. I love learning about the different species, and um, I really like the Ruha because I just nice. cannot get over the fact the the, <laughs> the thought of militant <laughs> hamsters. It's <laughs> so, so funny. Um, so this is just a great series overall, and once again, this book is called Columbus Day. Expeditionary Force Number One by Craig Allenson, and I think at this point there's like ten or eleven books. 
I will with my favorite book. I've been waiting all podcasts to talk about this book. I've absolutely fallen in love with it. It is called Shards Yay. of Honor, the Vorkosigan Saga, book one, by Lois McMaster Bujolt. And, oh gosh, okay, what can I even say about this book? Like, it's just, I was, yeah, I, okay, so the main character is Captain Cordelia Naismith, and she is a surveyor, and her and her crew are on a planet surveying the landscape, collecting samples, basically doing research, so she's very nerdy, and she knows a lot about different um, types of creatures, um, like, uh, you know, um, like, the different types of creatures that exist on all these planets, like, some flying jellyfish, you know, and some, like, um, mushroom-like um, four-legged animals, and this basically surveying the land and getting the lay of the land for her home planet of Beta. And um, she receives a distress signal from her um, crew. And her and her... Um, her uh, guy who is in charge of like collecting samples for plants. I want to call him a botanist, but that's botanist. not technically. Yeah. Yes, that, botanist. That's, yeah. So he is collecting samples and they're up on this huge ridge and she's getting distress calls. So they go back to the um, aircraft and they've been ambushed by these Barden. Um, uh, uh, Barden means, um, like, people from a different planet. Um, uh, soldiers, for lack of a better word, soldiers. And so she um, tells her crew to leave the orbit, and she'll, you know, take care of it, and um, they will come back with help, basically. Um, but unfortunately, the ambush takes the lives of one of her close friends and leaves another friend severely wounded um uh he is having seizures and all sorts of yuckiness he's basically become like a human um vegetable um he's not dead but he's not getting up and tap dancing anytime soon so really alive yeah it's really like a coma type stance yeah. or something well yeah. he's up and walking but he's not really i guess aware of what's going on so oh. yeah so um she has that to worry about and then on top of everything she gets kidnapped <laughs> oh dear yes and when oh. she awakens um there is a soldier from the planet um barton um he is um he is a captain of, in his own right of his own ship, and he is Captain Verkosigan, for which the series is named. And um, he's very terse, and he's very militaristic. He's a, um, an absolutely... Oh, like the hamsters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's very militaristic and very um, terse, and like a man's man kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So she and Verkosigan are uh, both stranded because 
he um, has been also, he was a part of the attacking team, as you're led to believe, um, but really he survived a mutiny attempt. So, which isn't a spoiler because it comes up very early in the book. Um, he survives a mutiny attempt and he takes um, Captain Cordelia as his prisoner. So, now, <laughs> the two Ooh. of them trek through this unforgiving um, forest um, in search of a supply center that the um, that Vercorsigan's um, people have set up. So they go on this brutal four-day trek through this, um, through the uh, unforgiving, unfamiliar landscape. And um, along the way, they are stung by these, like I said, flying jellyfish. <laughs> um, they exist on a ration of oatmeal and blue cheese dressing. Um, they are attacked by these, like, giant uh like giant bugs kind of mm. um yeah and Vercosigan gets an injury on his leg and is hobbling and um Cordelia has to vent it or not well you know when you like cut something so it bleeds so it gets the oh, infection yeah. out yeah. um she has to do that and but all through it all like all through it they kind of begin to admire each other, like the strength that the other has. Verkosigan mm -hmm. likes Cordelia because she's practical and she's very strong, independent without being manly, which is something that he has never experienced before. And Cordelia, she likes Verkosigan because he's so alien to anything she's ever kind of experienced before. Um, on Beta, things are very different, and just like things are different on Rakosigan's home planet. So, um, uh, they kind of grow fond of each other, and um, by the end, well, but they go very fond of each other, and by the end, they're, they rely on each other for support. So, um, with the help of Verkosigan, Cordelia um, makes it back to the um, supply um, center, and uh, Vorkosigan and her take back the supply center and basically dispatch with the people who um, tried to uh, <laughs> do a mutiny on Vorkosigan. And then they part ways, and uh, they run into each other again. <laughs> it seems like they, um, uh, they run into each other again. Um, and it's kind of like, as luck would have it, there's a, a murder of some, of some sort of one of the characters. And, um, Verkosigan helps Cordelia cover it up and also helps her explain away some of the ugliness that arises from this encounter. And um, all the while, it's set I'm against. Gonna want to wrap up pretty soon. Okay, yeah. All the while, it's set against this backdrop of um, politics and intrigue, and political maneuvering on the part of Arcosigan. And um, it's just excellent, excellent book. I really enjoyed the writing style, 
the way that everything is described and it's just got such a lovely strong female character and anyone who's interested in a good equal romance um where both parties help each other and support each other then this is a, a really really good um choice and it just the world is just so rich so i highly highly recommend shards of honor by um uh louise mcmaster or sorry lois mcmaster do a boo jolt so mika really really likes lois mcmaster Bujold. i have oh, never read her so but mika loves her a lot she, out of all the books i talked about this week like or this podcast that that was my favorite one she's yeah. mentioned as an author um that it like if 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 people are a fan of hers then they will like behind the throne she's one of the authors mentioned that oh uh, in the synopsis okay. that you know fans of so and so so and so and then she's one of those so so speaking of mika i have to give a quick shout out because she was unable to join us for this episode but she asked i please recommend on her behalf um the wayfarer series by becky chambers which begins with a long way to a small angry planet i cannot talk about this because i don't know anything about it but um that as her contribution to the sci-fi episode even though she isn't here so there's that you have 12 books from us bonus book one from Mika (laughs) (laughs) indeed so that brings us to the end of our dive into science fiction thank you to Kristen and Kira for coming up with enough books to make this episode possible (laughs) Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her phenomenal editing. And thank you so much to each and every one of you who joins us as we talk about all the fabulous books we love. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.